Oh, what a beautiful day today. These rhododendrons here on my left are completely covered in purple flowers. And uh, I actually have one of those big plants in my garden that never had flowers until, until this year. Um, it's still a bit deformed because it has been overshadowed by a huge, um, really not planned tree. It's this uh, kind of Christmas stuff that you often see in Christmas decorations. And it had never been maintained. And it had turned into this massive, really, it's all these prickly leaves. Not very pretty. Um, and when they are, we're working on the, in the garden for... Um, and cleaning up the, the garden around the new parish hall, uh, they were getting rid of a lot of weeds. And so I asked them, can you get rid of that big tree that is um, not even supposed to be there? And so they, they took that tree down. And all of a sudden, all the other tiny trees that were growing in the shadow, or were trying to grow in the shadow of that big one, this springtime are now starting to to uh, literally emerge from the shadows and that one rhododendron plant is now in full flower and on the left side where the, the other tree was it's still underdeveloped but I think maybe with some pruning I have to look up how that works um, I'll be able to balance out the whole thing and then next year I will have even more flowers it's so funny how I'm finally starting to develop a green thumb I never had uh, much interest in in plants and in gardening but I'm having so much fun trying to grow my own basil and I was it last week that I that I kind of used that as a metaphor of how you can also or how you should no I think it's like two weeks ago I talked about pruning activities in your life and at first that is a bit uh, a bit daunting and it feels as if you're cutting away too much but then after a while you'll see that a lot of that energy that you were putting in all these different branches can now fully um, focus on on developing new activities uh, that are probably less exhausting have more staying power than uh, when you were not pruning your activities and so every day there's a big tractor here passing by there's only one, one way available, so these cars are alternating. They're working on uh, cables, I think, on the other side of the street. And this being one of the busiest roads through the village creates even more traffic jams. But, um, uh, so I've, I've, been, I've been pruning my, my uh, basil plants almost every single day now. Um, and I'm learning so much from that process. It's so funny that oftentimes the the parts of the plant that are growing the fastest are the ones that you have to, to prune. Uh, because what you want is that instead of putting all that energy into height, you, you want volume to increase. And in order to do that, what you do is you, uh, you prune the basil stem uh, right at the point where you see four leaves. So there are usually two leaves, but then certain parts have four leaves. And if you take off the top, right above that, there will be still this growth hormone in, in that part of the, of the plant. And since it doesn't have to work on height, um, it will then turn two of the four leaves into new branches. And, that's, and if you keep doing that, you will create this big bushy plant instead of a very tall plant that only can go up. And, and it works. <laughs> now, of course, this is one of the better seasons to grow basil because there's a lot of sun during the day. And um, while basil plants don't like scorching heat or, or, or like the strongest sunshine, um, usually it catches about five hours of sunshine throughout the day now. And because the temperatures are higher, it's growing really fast. And you can see the process happening in front of your eyes. Like every day, I look at those. So this started with a very, very poor, abandoned, um, half-dead basil, basil plant uh, last year. And I, uh, I was adamant uh, that I wanted to save this and see if I could propagate these 
these remaining few stems. And now I have five big plants. Where they are, I think they're going to be big and bushy at the end of the of the spring of springtime, and I have tons of basil. Um, but it's so fun to see how every time I I I put some extra care in the pruning of the plant, it gets stronger. Um, so at one point, for instance, the leaves of most of these tiny plants were turning yellow, which means that there is not enough, I think, nitrogen in the soil. And that was because they had been in the same pot for, for months during the winter. And so the first thing I did was get them out of these small pots, put them in a bigger pot, add new soil that has more fertilizer in it, um, make sure that, the, that they always have enough water without overwatering them. And what you could see was that after I had repotted them, so for the past two weeks, um, the plants were barely growing. But it doesn't mean that nothing was happening. In fact, what was happening is that the root system, which had been in this small pot and had exhausted all the nutrients, was growing and developing new roots. So all the energy of the plant went into the root system first. And once it had all the roots in the soil, you can see how this is going to turn into a metaphor in a, in a minute. <laughs> once all these new, nice, you know, white uh, roots, because when I took them out of the pot, most of the roots were already turning a bit yellow, which is a, a sign usually. Oh, hey, that's interesting. So here is the flag, but it's not the Dutch flag. It's a French flag. Uh, that they've raised with um, a backpack, which is usually a, a symbol of uh, uh, one of the kids passing their exams. So I guess these, these people here must be French instead of Dutch. That's interesting. I should, uh, should get to know them. <laughs> it won't hurt to have a few French friends here in the, in the area. So um, the, once the root system was able to reach that new soil, now, this week, you see that all of a sudden that puny little almost yellowish basil plant starts to develop a ton of new dark brown, uh, dark brown, dark green leaves, which is a sign that has enough nitrogen, that has all the nutrients it needs, and that it has enough sunshine. And so that adds to the metaphorical use of this, of this uh, whole project in a sense that sometimes you don't see growth in your own life after you've pruned and maybe repot it. So for instance, repotting could be a pro process where uh, you've, you've changed jo jobs. You know, you went, uh, in my case, you changed parish parishes. There's always a bit of a system shock when uh, <laughs> these dogs, two puppies that are playing instead of obeying their, uh, their master. <laughs> All right, let's see. I'm going straight on into the woods. So this is the entrance to the woods. What a beautiful day. Um, so, and it oftentimes takes a while for you to, to, uh, to find your footing. And uh, so what often happens in these first months after you've changed your environment, uh, you've changed your job, maybe you relocate it. could also be just a... An adaptation of your, um, of 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 the people you mingle with, you know. Oftentimes, you know, what is our soil in our day-to-day -day life? It's obviously it's the food. Like with plants, it's if you drink enough. Uh, maybe also get out there, get some sunshine every day. That often helps. It, at least with me, it helps mood-wise. But it can also be uh, changing the friends that you that you have gathered around you, either on social media, you know, purging your, your, uh, your feeds and see, are the people that I'm currently following, are they feeding me or are they exhausting me? Uh, there's, there's a lot to say about, you know, going, purging your, the people that you follow so that what you, if you open your social media channels, you're motivated, you get stimulated. I mean, oftentimes, we copy the behavior subconsciously of the people that give us input. And if you surround yourself with people that give you energy and ideas and um, 
kind of show you how much they are growing, oftentimes that will also make you grow. Whereas if you are, if your, your friend circles, either on social media or in real life, are filled with negative people, bitter people, people that are spending their time uh, gossiping and always looking at the, the negatives, that will start to affect your own roots as well. And your, your roots will start to yellow, turn yellow and brown and will be unable to absorb the real nutrients that you need, the ones that make you grow, the ones that make you uh, uh, get new energy and new ideas, develop new branches. And so, but after you've, you've changed your, your own, the soil in which you're trying to root, oftentimes it takes a while for you to literally uh, find, you know, which which people are are giving me that energy, and how how can I adapt to this new situation? And that may, from the outside, slow down your progress or your success or your advancement. This is what I I think I went through um, in uh, the the first year after after moving here, um, where I felt. As if I had my life literally had been uprooted. I say liter- literally a lot, but I mean metaphorically. <laughs> well, my life had been uprooted severely, and I was—I needed all my energy to process that change and to f- seek out in this new parish and this new uh, region. Uh, what are the people that I'm going to surround me with, and with who can I connect? Oh, there is a big brown dog, and he's wagging his tail because he thinks I have a toy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How are you? How are you? <laughs> it is the same old... You know what? There is a, actually a market here for um, for uh, producers of windshields. They should make a lot of these <laughs> these gray circular windshields and then just sell them to pet owners. I, I'm sure that there is an untapped market there for the audio industry. <laughs> Thankfully, this one is already a bit uh, tired. He's been probably walking with his master for a while, so he doesn't have the energy to jump up and, uh, and eat my microphone. Oh, here's another dog. He's got a, he's got a, uh, a branch in his, in his uh, mouth, so... He can't bite me either. <laughs> all right, let's turn left because over there is in the meadow, there's usually the meeting place of all the dog owners and their dogs. So um, that first year I was um, oftentimes very tired. And I think it was because I was putting all my energy into uh, finding my, getting used to this new soil. And now that I have found these these areas and these these groups of people that give me a uh, new energy i'm starting to to experience the power the growing power of that energy and in the process i've not only have i changed the pot in which i i was uh, planting my roots but i've also pruned a lot of my activities and some were pruned for me in the sense that my work has changed but and for a while that felt like a loss and uh what am I going to do now? What is left? You know, you're kind of steerless. What, what is, is our thing still going to grow? And you try out this and you try out that. And then now I feel like all, all of a sudden my, uh, now that my roots are anchored here in my social environment, I have my running groups. I've got my uh, friends in the parish and, uh, there is also this nature, this being able to walk every day in the woods or run. You know, it's so much. It gives me so much energy and it gives me so much balance that I, I didn't have in my previous parish. And also the lack of stressors, which for a plant can be, for instance, a draft or something that is constantly asking the plant to adapt to something that is not conducive to... Uh, to its growth in the long run, that also can hamper growth. And I had so many of those stress factors uh, a couple of years ago where my mind was constantly occupied 
uh, with, uh, trying to manage the situation, trying to keep um, at peace. Um, whereas right now, I feel very much at peace. I'm very much where I want to be and where I think I should be. And so all that growth energy can now go into what I do and into my, the various areas of my, of my life as a priest. And I can tell that I feel like that one of those basil plants that all of a sudden new green leaves are starting to form um, and new life is, is manifesting itself. And I love it. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for that. So <clears throat> what, I, what I keep in mind is that sometimes in life you will have those periods where it seemingly you don't grow anymore. But it could be because you've just been repotted and you are developing new roots. And uh, here's a, a brave runner passing me by. I don't think I would be running at this time of the day. It's already quite warm and it's humid. Because the, the forest is still... We've had a lot of rain before it got warmer. And so you can feel that there's a lot of humidity in the air here. Um, so anyway, uh, another metaphor um, that I have for you today is um, uh, I, I was uh, trying to improve my core, um, which is like all the muscles of your, of your, the core of your body. So it's your stomach and around the back, the legs. Um, I, those are usually very underdeveloped <laughs> in my life because I'm, I focus mostly on running. But the thing is, you can only run it, it, with good form if you if you're stable and so I started um, to do some uh, training exercises to fortify my core and it, it I failed miserably yesterday I could barely get through one third of the of the exercises but I know that over time if I keep doing this every day at one point maybe next week I'll get to half of the exercise and then the week after that I'll get to two-thirds and ultimately, I'll be able to perform the entire entire training routine fully, and then I can start. It, it's, it will start to work. So, um, and the second thing that I've been uh, focusing on, there are three things. The second thing is, um, I'm, I'm trying out low heart rate uh, training, which means, um, and I'm often, uh, my, my, I guess it's just the way I've been always running is. You say go, and I go, and I go full speed, um, which in a sense could, uh, could help you get stronger because all of a sudden your heart needs to like wake up and oh, would my, the body needs oxygen. So it, you do get stronger, but it's also uh, wearing you out very, very fast. So you run fast, you can't run long, whereas endurance is just as important as speed and in fact speed is often better built on endurance than than vice versa so what i've been trying now is to do a long run relatively long run 16k but to try to keep my heart rate always in the what they call an aerobic zone which is where your heart is is pumping the blood around but it's not like in in like super exertion mode um, if you have an Apple Watch, it would be Zone 3. And then I tried to stay at the lower end of Zone 3. That, at first, was so frustrating. Because I felt like I was running at the pace of a, of, of a 70, 78-year-old. And uh, I barely moved. Which I, I ran at, at only, I would say, two-thirds the speed of a normal jog. But... I noticed that if I would go any faster, immediately my heart rate go, would go to level four and I would be in the anaerobic zone and I would get tired and, and winded. So it took a lot of discipline to stay in that aerobic zone and to try to change my mindset. Like it's not about the speed today, even though I always kind of like to show myself that I can run fast and I am in the hoping to run a very fast marathon later this year but this is built is part of the building blocks blocks it's kind of similar to the whole story about the roots if i build endurance first and i stop focusing on speed and that will lay the groundwork for 
a much faster general pace over time, but that can take a couple of months before I've developed that. And in the meantime, I need to slow down to get faster, which feels so contrary to um, how I usually thought I should get better. Again, good metaphor for sometimes in life where slowing down will actually, and it takes time, but if you slow down, that will give you a much better foundation to be productive and to flourish later on. Um, I think for me, if I translate that to the way I try to live my life, is to um, be to step on the brakes much faster than I normally would do. Uh, yesterday, I, I, I visited um, my good friend uh, Father Henry, who, as most of you know, has moved to another parish um, about 100. Oh, actually, it was 150 days ago. We calculated that in the car. He had invited some of his uh, board members, the, the people that were running the parish board, and me uh, for. Uh, to come over and see his new location and visit his new parish and uh, and stay for dinner and that was really great he, he was still totally in the face of of uh, find, trying to find new ground you know the, the stretching his roots and uh, when I when we asked him so how are things going he's like yeah I don't know I, I feel like I'm not doing very much but I still need to get used to this environment nobody knows me here and I, I don't know it's it's I'm still exploring the place, so I don't have um, much to do. Well, of course, obviously, as a priest, he's he's always, you know, he fills his days, but he's not yet at the point where he can start to fully develop his uh, his his talents. And it was interesting to see that with someone else, because I've experienced it myself two years ago, and now I see him in that same situation. So I, I know that he's going to be fine, but it will take time to get used to that new environment. And the other thing that um, that I remembered was that in in this 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 parish where he used to be a pastor, um, he would always work super hard, never took time for himself, um, barely had time to. He he loves reading. Um, he has a huge knowledge of history and literature and everything, but uh, as a as a parish priest barely took the time to read new books and so um, we would always joke that he would have this big pile on his desk of unread books <laughs> um, and that, that pile would get bigger every single week because he would buy new books but we wouldn't take the time to read them um, but then in, in, in the time that, that he was a priest here he would often have a lot of lots of work and then all of a sudden he would need to get out of here and just compensate and so he would travel to Rome or he would go to France and <clears throat> he'd be gone for a week or he would go to a, an abbey and do a retreat and then he he was filling his lungs with new <laughs> with new oxygen spiritual oxygen and then he came back and oftentimes I've witnessed that he he was like, oh man, I'm back and there's so many unread emails and oh, I don't want to. And, but then he would force himself and push through until the next uh, moment he would need to completely, fully um, charge again. It's like when you have a phone. Uh, <laughs> when you have a phone, we all have a phone. What am I thinking? You, there are two ways to, uh, to handle your energy management. You can just make sure that at one point of the day, when you know the battery is almost depleted, you put it. You, you find a good time of the of the day or the night to recharge your phone. Um, but there are also people that uh, will just use their phone up until the very last second, and it shuts down. And then you know that when it completely shuts down, you need to, you can't use it anymore. It won't function at all. Whereas if there's still some juice left in your Putting it on the charger, you can still, yeah, you know, it can function for important things. Not if your phone is completely de depleted, it will take some time for the phone to be even able to turn on again. That's often how we also uh, make mistakes when it comes to our own energy management. We sometimes, go, not everyone, but some people 
like me, have had the tendency to go all the way to the end and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm overworked and I can't do this anymore. And then we, everything falls from our hands or our body tells us I'm shutting down till we get ill. You know, we get all sorts of, of um, uh, signs that our body is, has, been, has been overworked and, and, uh, and then there's not much that you can do. You feel miserable, you're discouraged. And so what I try to do now is to, first of all, determine as much as possible which activities are costing me a lot of energy, which activities bring me energy. And sometimes I'm working on see if I, seeing if I can change my mindset so that certain energy, certain activities that in the past cost me a lot of energy, I'll give some examples in a minute, can now also give some energy back because I approach them differently. Um, and so I'm much more focused on good energy distribution over the day and I don't hesitate to take breaks and to, to make sure that every day I have some time to read, I go out for a walk, no matter how busy I am, I know that if I deprioritize my health, that may seemingly make me more productive that particular day, but what's one hour of a day? You know, I can find one hour to go for a run, or to go for a walk, or to do those darn core exercises that I hate so much. But I know in the long run, that will result in a much better balance than if I constantly skip over my own needs, the needs of my body, the needs of my soul. So, you know, prayer is one of those things that feels so useless if you have a busy calendar and you're 500 emails behind. Like, oh my gosh. <sighs> you know, I'm, I'm sure that God is pretty busy up there anyway, so I might as well just skip prayers today. Um, but it's, we're not praying to help God. <laughs> we pray so that God can help us. <laughs> right? So the more we skip those moments where we recharge spiritually, intellectually, um, physically, we, culinary even, we, uh, we deplete ourselves completely and with the risk of shutting down and not being productive at all. So, and I've noticed that these, these walks like today in the woods... That is such a massive source of energy for me. Just seeing the colors of the, of the leaves here. It's all green. The hearing these songs that are singing every morning. It just puts a smile on my face. And it, it helps me through the day. Even when I'm sitting at my desk later on today. And so, um, visiting Father Henry yesterday made me uh, again aware of how much I've learned <clears throat> from this whole process of of repotting and to be and having having pruned uh so much of of what used to be my my daily routine and it's only now i've been here for about a year and a half i think <clears throat> no it's, it's almost two years already i'm get, i'm i feel like i'm so much i'm so much more in a place where i wanted to be and i never thought i would be at this at in 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 this situation right now because when i was still when all of this was still future i was dreading it i was like man this is this is the worst time of my life and <laughs> what's going to happen next and now i feel like despite the fact that it was a very painful process it has been in the end extremely beneficial because it forced me to change the the circuit i couldn't control the circumstances but i could control my mindset and how I approach these things. And it is in the process of, of pain and, and being pruned um, that I did develop the desire to change my, my mindset. So to give you some examples of things that I have, I think successfully, or I am in the process of successfully reframing so that I don't only spend energy on them, but I also get energy from them. It's this, ooh, two horses. They're going at full speed, so I'm going to, step aside because this is actually their road <laughs> hi hi four four horses <laughs> nice nice and a lot of dust <laughs> very cool well they're slowing down now oh five horses even more not bad <laughs> 
All right, I feel like I'm I'm in the Lord of the Rings right now with all these all these uh, these horses. Oof, that's a lot of dust. <laughs> Actually, I don't even know if there are rules of engagement with these horses because they they saw me and then they they slowed down. They were in full they were running at full speed. Anyway, I love these moments like this. You know. <laughs> So close, so close to becoming a hobbit here. <laughs> anyway, I'm turning left so they can continue. And this path is for pedestrians, so it's much more uh, suitable for walking than all the, 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 the sand. Those are sand paths and pretty hard on, on the ankles. Um, so uh, you know that for me, social events for many years have been very taxing. Um, and this has to do with me. At first, I thought it was all only because I was shy, and then I thought, well, I'm just an introvert. And I, I still think I am an introvert, but it doesn't mean introverted people are not antisocial, not at all. It's just that they need to manage their, their energy balance uh, closer than people that are naturally extroverted and uh, take a lot of energy from being among the crowds. You know, the Pope Francis is a good example. Pope John Paul II was the same. When, whenever he was on Wednesday morning, was entering these crowds with the Pope Mobile, you would see them wake up and get alive, and the interaction gave them so much energy. Um, whereas for introverted people, Pope Benedict, in a certain way, was more introverted. Uh, it would cost him, and you could tell that after a couple of hours on St. Peter's Square, he was dying to get back to his study and read a book. <laughs> well. I've um, I've really worked hard on changing my mindset towards these social events, and um, I feel much more that I'm in control of uh, of those moments, and so I can actually decide what to do and what not. In the past, oftentimes social events would be dictated by what I felt was social pressure. So, for instance, you get an invitation from someone: "Hey, uh, I haven't seen you in a while." Uh, can we get together and can I pick your brain on something? And my initial reaction was always, yes, of course, I need to do this. Not, yes, of course, I'd like, I'd like to see this person again. No, I need to do this because this, pe- this person expects me to meet up. So I need to comply to that. And <laughs> this is joining what I was talking about last week. Um, I was not at all evaluating uh, in those moments whether something would bring me relief or if something would make me feel proud and and a sense of satisfaction uh, or accomplishment i was mostly uh letting my agenda be ruled by the will to please now that i've pruned that particular aspect of my mindset and i i a new type of mindset is developing where i feel like well wait a minute no i uh, my friends are the soil for my roots, and I value friendship very much. But I can decide who I am gathering around me and who I want to interact with. And uh, if there are other people that, you know, maybe not, um, how do you call it, uh, acquaintances, it doesn't mean that whenever they feel like. I need to, and oftentimes you know, there are these social obligations where people feel like, oh, we have to invite him for this or that, or because, well, that's that's just how it is. Um, I I don't have to go along with that, not necessarily. There are always, and I don't have to explain myself to people. I just say, well, sorry, no, that's not possible. Um, and I I used to always add like, I'm so sorry. I would have loved to do but and I would list like five reasons to explain why I wouldn't engage with these people and then I would always add like maybe in a month from now so I would open another like stressor like oh maybe in a month from now I need to go through this whole rigmarole again I'm much more uh, direct right now where I don't 
ask for forgiveness for something that doesn't merit to... I'm, I'm all for asking forgiveness if it's something that you did wrong. But if you try to excuse yourself and explain, over-explain yourself why you're not engaging with certain people or certain events, then you're basically still in people-pleasing mode. But I don't do that. I just... I'm very... I try to be quick, direct. I try to listen to my gut if... If this is something that immediately evokes a sense of dread, like, oh no, I don't want to go. But as soon as I say that, I know that I'm actually not doing the right thing. Then I'm doing it out of uh, like a perceived obligation. And life is too short for that right now. Instead, I do say yes when I feel like, oh man, that would be wonderful. And then, but... It's the other way. It's the total opposite process. Like um, to give to make it more more specific, I got this invitation a few weeks ago. Actually, it predates that. But at the, when I was in London for the Star Wars celebration, I bumped into these two guys from the Netherlands, and they talked to me about uh, a charity uh, conference or convention, a Star Wars charity convention in in Amsterdam, and I had been interviewed on stage uh, before even the, the pandemic and they loved the story and my passion for Star Wars so they now wanted me or hoped that I would be available to lead some panels to be the interviewer on stage for uh, a couple of Star Wars actors and so they 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 were um, seeing their uh, was I interested my initial reaction was oh yes I would love that that's so cool and I'd be honored and yeah by all means and then I started to doubt it's like oh my but that means that I have to be so prepared and I don't know any of these actors very well and how am I going to do that I'm I'm not a Star Wars expert I'm just a fan and I don't I don't know if I can do this and so I was starting to but my initial feeling was, my gut feeling was, yes, do this. You have to do this. So I did the opposite of, um, no, I don't want to go, but uh, I feel obligated, so I'll just go and I'll uh, see if how, how we can recover afterwards. Now I was like, no, I think my initial reaction is the right one. This is, this is something I love, but I have these inhibitions, these, these, this inner dial- monologue or dialogue or whatever, um, that is, um, that is trying to hold me back. And it's, it's this whole imposter syndrome that is acting up. So I'm not going to cancel this. I'm going to work on this imposter syndrome. And it's good for me to focus on uh, overcoming this inner blockade so that that experience can be a positive one that gives me energy. And so that's what I did. I... Um, I was working um, for the past few weeks on um, on committing to this internally. So I had already committed verbally. Yes, I will come. I will do this. But then every day I told myself, I counteracted my inner voice. I said, oh, you can do this. You're good at this. You love doing this. I said that aloud to myself. I said, you can do this. You love Star Wars. This is something you dreamt of as a child to... Uh, to be able to talk to these actors and um, this uh, this is going to be great. You've been uh, such a good interviewer on TV. So I was, I was constantly repeating these affirmations to myself. Like, this is your job. You know how to do this. You've been interviewing people for 15 years while doing your TV show. You have more experience than 99% of, of other interviewers um, at, at occasions like this. You can do this, and you have time to prepare. So, after um, setting up this, this, these, these affirmations for every day, I started to work on good preparation. Um, and I probably over-prepared. I, I read up on every uh, actor, made a list of questions that I had. Is uh, I, I read the description, how they were announced. So that's. Um, trying to make an inventory of the expectations. So the organization had certain things they hoped that that interview would, uh, would bring out. So I had a, a good series of topics that I could turn into questions. Then I had my own questions. Um, and then I even did, I went the extra mile and I uh, looked up some of the previous interviews that these people had done before. 
and I came across a number of cool anecdotes. And so I wrote those down. Make sure you ask about uh, General Crix Medine's beard, his fake beard. It's the, he's the guy who's standing next to Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi. And um, in, in a previous interview that I, that I saw on YouTube, he, he told us that the beard was fake and he was only informed like an hour before shooting that he, they, they, he was forced to wear a beard, which he hated. Um, and it was because the action figure, ha figure had already been designed and the action figure had a beard. So they were forced by, <laughs> by the toy company to make sure that the actor had a beard. Um, and there was no time to grow a beard, of course, obviously, in, in two hours. So anyway, I thought it was a hilarious story. And um, so I, I made sure that for every actor, I had one or two questions that would lead them to those anecdotes. And, it, and, and of course, it feels a bit like cheating because it's not a very original question. But that was not my, my point. My job was not to... Um, make sure that I'm the most original interviewer. Now my my job was to make sure that my audience gets some cool, funny stories that makes them laugh, makes them feel good. And the actors, um, I need to keep them on the topic of Star Wars, which for most of these actors, it was like a one or two day job in, in, in a sea of other jobs. So for them, these... these uh, Conventions are sometimes also a bit like, here we go again. Um, so I wanted to, them to be comfortable and lead them to some topics, especially in the beginning of the interview, that they are comfortable talking about. And then that's how I prepared. And uh, I remember the evening before, it was 10 o'clock, and I still had to prepare for the interview with, uh, with Bonnie Peace and Duncan... Uh, I forgot his last name. Anyway, so it's the actress who plays Aunt Beru, the younger Aunt Beru in the prequels and also in the Obi-Wan Kenobi television series and um, Duncan um, Lowe. I forgot his last name. Anyway, he's from, from Scotland and he, um, he is in Rogue One and also has a bigger role in, in the first season of Andor, um, especially in the... He's, he's the one who teams up with uh, Cash and Andor in the prison uh, a whole prison episodes. Um, I, I, I just ran out of time to prepare that, but I told myself, you're going to be okay. You know enough. You're a super fan of Andor. Uh, there, there is, this is going to be okay. So I just let it go. And, and then on Saturday, I felt like I have exactly, all the affirmations really worked. Um, and I knew that this was going to be an awesome day. And there was no room for error. I'd printed out all my questions. Um, so even if for some reason I would freak out and I wouldn't know what to, what to say or what to ask, I could always fall back on that list of questions. And having all that, you know, well-organized, as if I was going to film a television show, I could enjoy that day so much. It was so amazing. And during the conversations, and that was so cool, I forgot about the audience. I forgot about the fact that I was leading uh, an interview here. And I became part of the conversation and I just, I got new questions and new inspiration. And there was, there is this chemistry that you cannot prepare for. And I had three amazing hours where I felt like I am, I'm on the, in this one-on-one -on -one with all these actors that I know, all these, these people that work for Lucasfilm. I'm the luckiest man on earth. And so what in the past would have been a, a frightening and maybe even exhausting experience, um, coming up on this road, wondering where I should go. Uh, let's, let's walk back because otherwise it's going to be a very long walk and I also want to record the, the break. Um, it's uh, this having having these moments I feel like this is this is the Father Roderick that I'm supposed to be no longer anxious no longer doubting himself I, I I'm feeling on top of the world and that comes across because afterwards I got a lot of feedback through social media that people really enjoyed the panels and loved the questions and um it, it, it just worked and I, I, there was humor that's also I was 
we were making a lot of jokes and normally humor is very hard when you're tense, when you're stressed out, you tend to focus on, you know, what's going to be my next question. But I was so relaxed that it became a very natural conversation and it was a wonderful day. I came back home, even though I'd been on my feet for 10 hours. Yes, I was physically tired, but I felt invigorated. I was like, oh my gosh. I, and this was the Saturday before Pentecost. And I hadn't prepared, I didn't have time to prepare a homily uh, for the next day. But again, I was like, not a problem. I am, I love uh, being in this parish and there's always something that comes up. And so the next morning, um, I had my breakfast, still had no clue what I would preach. So I got ready, I dressed myself, and, and then all of a sudden, like, boom, 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 I had three, four ideas, some stories, and even a, a story from the day before, um, which uh, I have to recall what I talked about. So it was, of course, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think, what did I start with? Um, this, ooh, I remember I talked about a boat. This is this is weird. I never recall my own homilies. After I've delivered the homily, it's gone. Um, what was the story that I started with? Uh, now I have to start the creative process again. It's like, hmm, if I would do a homily now, what would I begin with? What would this? What be? What would be the best story to begin with? Anyway, uh, the gist of my of my homily was. We often think that the Holy Spirit isn't working anymore because we don't see results. But that is, that's uh, looking at the, at the Holy Spirit and his workings with the wrong mindset. And I told the story about uh, when I was a kid, I had a friend who had a boat and uh, he taught me that if you're on the water and you're not moving, it, it's not because there's no wind, it's just because you haven't pointed your sail in the right direction. It's not catching the wind. And so sometimes you have to, instead of going straight in, the, you know, in, in a straight line, oftentimes you have to turn the boat a little bit until it catches wind, or you have to turn the sails, catches wind, and then you go a little bit in a diagonal way, and then you turn the, the sails again, and then you go the, to the left in a diagonal way. And that's how you crisscross but the most important thing is not to focus on, I need to go from A to B, but you need to focus on how do I catch the wind? And I use that metaphor to explain how we should relate to the Holy Spirit. One of the things that strikes me in the story in, that we read in the Acts of the Apostles is that the, the, the wind that they hear um, is not inside the house at first. It's around the house. The, the, the fire-like... The, um, light that comes that, that, that is suddenly there um, it, it doesn't come from the cupboard it comes from the sky, it comes from the heavens so in other words uh, they are portrayed in that story as the ones who were keeping the doors and the, and the, the windows closed um, obviously symbolic of their own mindset and it is when they are first, all of a sudden realizing, well, wait a minute, the wind is all around us. The fire is coming down on us. That's when they open the windows and the doors of their hearts. They receive it and it becomes their power. And I said, this is, this is how we should look at the Holy Spirit in our parish, for instance. If we feel like we're not, we're not moving anymore and it has got forgotten us or we, we, we forget to see that all around us the Holy Spirit is working this is the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit it's not just working within the limitations of the church no it's it's willing to work with anyone who is of goodwill the only thing he asks you is to open your your heart and to change maybe the direction of your sails so so he can propel you forward and uh, I told a story um, that I was told during the Star Wars convention of this, um, one of the organizers came to me and showed me a photo with a story. And he said, um, the last time uh, that we had this convention, which was pre-pandemic, um, there were oh, some 
people on bikes are passing me by. Um, the uh, he said that there was this this couple and they had a young child um, who I don't know if he was eight or something like that, but um, he had um, uh, he had I think it was because he um, he lacked oxygen during his birth. But anyway, he had the, the mind of a of a little child. Uh, couldn't speak, but he always reacted very strongly to anything Star Wars. So they brought him to that Star Wars convention. They told the organizer, um, he's probably not going to be here next year. The doctors have told us that uh, he doesn't have much time to live. And so the organizer went to one of the actors that was there and told him the story. He said, I know that normally, you know, for a photo or an autograph, you know, it, you, uh, this is a source of income, so it, it, it would cost me. Would you, would you please um, come with me and see this boy? And the actor was like, Bob, oh, of course I will do that. And he, he took um, a souvenir. Like, I think it was um, an actor who, uh, who plays the Mandalorian, if I'm not mistaken. And he, uh, he took this gift um, and gave it to the boy. And it was a very warm moment but also difficult for the parents because they realized that their child who was you know smiling and 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 loved uh, would be one of the last moments with their son and so now three years later he shows me this photo he said this is what the parents just just um, just sent me on whatsapp and it was a photo of a little prayer corner that they made in their living room and uh, the mother is very religious uh she had placed a photo of her child and around it a candle, some, uh, some, some other objects, personal objects of the child. And there was this, this gift that the actor had given her child. And she said, I, I look at this every single day and every, every day I, f- I feel like I'm, there's so much consolation in knowing that my son has a, had, had, has had such a, an amazing day and that one he couldn't keep, uh, well, he couldn't talk about it, obviously, but he, they could tell that this, this gift that he'd gotten was, was bringing him back to that wonderful day. And he said, it gave us so much uh, consolation and thank you for that and have a, have a wonderful day. And when I heard that story, the, the guy who showed me that, he was tearing up, I was tearing up. And, and, and on Sunday, I said, this is, this is a sign of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in um, the term that is used for the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of uh, the Gospel, maybe it's also in the, in the Acts, I'm not sure. But it's the, uh, oh, what's the word? Oh, now it escapes me. It's this Greek word, uh, paraclete, the paraclete. Which can mean two things. Um, Paraclete, this is um, Pope Francis that uh, said this in a homily uh, three years ago. Paraclete means both the advocate, uh, the, the lawyer in a certain way, and it means the consoler. And he explains uh, it's not a lawyer like we have today, someone that, who speaks on behalf of you. But it's someone in, at that time who would stand next to the accused and would whisper suggestions. Maybe you can say this. Maybe you can do this. So it was a much more modest type of role compared to the strong lawyers that we see on TV. And the Pope said, this is, this is often how the Spirit also stands beside us. He doesn't take over, but he whispers in your heart, this is the way. I'm, I'm, I'm adding this, but as a Star Wars reference. And so the organizer who saw this child heard the story of his parents I think was moved by the paraclete who told him go get that actor do this this is this is what you should do now and it was it was a spur of the moment thing uh, he didn't realize that the the porte of that of that encounter and but he just felt this is what I need to do so he did it that's one that's one sign of the Holy Spirit 
And the second sign was this consolation, this profound, deep consolation that these parents experienced at that moment and then all the, the days and years after that. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, is, is a consoler. So I gave this back to um, the people in church and I said, this is, the Holy Spirit is working everywhere, even on a Star Wars convention. We have to see it. And if we feel that that spirit, that we don't experience the power of that consolation or that advocacy of the Holy Spirit, don't, let's not blame God. But let's ask ourselves, how can we change our mindset, open the doors of our hearts to, to let him in, to let him blow in our, in our sails? And, uh, and I meant it because this is, I think, in its core, what I've been trying to share with you in this hour. Um, the, the circumstances of my life have changed year after year after year. I'm sure there are many changes and disruptions to come. But the Holy Spirit is still here. And what I need to do in every situation is see and experiment sometimes also. How do I change the position of my boat? How do I catch that wind again? And it means sometimes you take the time. How can I... How can I find that, that growing power, that strength? And sometimes it means you have to stretch out your roots and invest in that first. So invest in, in, in finding the right people to surround you, to find the things that give you energy. And then just forget about the results. It's like with this running at low heart rate. Uh, I know that the first few months are going to be hard because I... I think that I always have to run fast in order to get the best results and now I have to slow down. But in the end, after a couple of months, science tells me that I will actually be much stronger than ever before. So you have to wait and pruning, other things. Getting rid of superfluous things in your life that, are, that you only do out of obligation, but you, your heart is not in it. And you are not even convinced that it's useful. But you do it because you want to please others or out of guilt or whatever. The moment you prune them, it feels scary and you feel like, well, what's left? But know that that is just a temporary phase. Um, God sometimes can seemingly step away from our lives. and, And we feel like we're beaten from all sides. But in fact... What he truly is doing as a gardener, (laughs) he's pruning us and he's helping us to find new strength and to learn from the pain so that it will make us stronger later on. When when you work out, uh, if you are lifting weights or running or biking or swimming, the reason that you are that your muscles are aching afterwards is because you damaged them. They incurred some stress and you, you, you created micro tears in your, in your muscles. And then you're, it, during the night, this is why rest is just as important as the exercise itself. Rest and sleep is also training, strangely enough. During that, those moments of rest and recovery, your body will start to make those tissues stronger. Because, well, they're damaged, so we need to make sure that next time we are more resilient. And so the rest and repair is actually part of the process. And, and so on and so on. And I think mentally it's very much like that as well. Uh, whatever goes wrong in, li- in your life, it may be painful. And it may, <laughs> the pain will sometimes last a while. But at the same time, if you open yourself to a process of healing and you take the time to, to rest and to recover, you, will, you might get stronger. I'm not saying always, because it's a cliche to say whatever, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, there are definitely things that can make us miserable for the rest of our lives without making us stronger. Think of trauma. But I'm not talking about the extreme cases. I'm talking about, you know, just a friction of day-to-day life. If you have a, mind, a growth mindset, and growth not just in terms of 
prosperous growth or success in life. But if you focus on the fact that you're not alone in this world and God is, wants you to grow and to, to become stronger and you invite him as the Holy Spirit to work in you to get stronger, then there is ultimately always a reason to be thankful for adversity and for moments of trial. As long as you know that it's it, you, together with the Holy Spirit, can turn what is painful and what feels limiting and feels uh, uprooting, can change it into moments of growth and, uh, and strength. That is what I wanted to share with you. And so, um, I feel blessed today. I feel really gifted with the with with these insights and uh, I this is a moment where I think I can actually harvest a little bit of what I've invested in and tried to invest in and thought about for for the past three years and and now is the time to acknowledge that yes I have grown and I have received more than I've sacrificed what a great time all right. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Thanks to my patrons for supporting me every month. I couldn't do this work without you. You know that. So let's talk soon. Take care. Have a wonderful day. God bless. You're in my prayers.